Two Man Advantage, the podcast, is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NHL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. There are in-app panoramic seat view photos from every section, so you can see what you're getting. And the app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. everybody, Scott Burnside. Here we go. Another episode of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Pierre Lebrun, you just came back from, you, you, have you had both hockey practice and done an interview already this morning? Like, I, you may be, you're in due for a nap if that's the case. I don't know that I can sneak a nap in today. I'm not sure. But yeah, at the 7 a.m. practice with the boy and, uh, and then at uh, 9.30 a.m., uh, Sat down for a Q&A interview with Vegas Golden Knights GM Kelly McCrimmon. Terrific guy and uh, went over a lot of topics. So look for that on Thursday on The Athletic, everyone. Look at us doing some synergy cross-promoting here. We got we got it all going on. I, I, there are a couple things. Um, later on in this podcast, we're going to hear from Darren Pang. I always Panger. get excited when I talk to, to Panger because he's just... Uh, he's just... He's... A pros pro, and I, and I'm gonna we're gonna ask him about this, but I don't know if you knew this. Of course, you probably knew that he and Steve Eiserman are were childhood friends, right? They grew up together and have known each other for a hundred years. Do you know he actually scouted for Steve when he was putting together the Olympic teams? Did you know that? Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna ask him about that. Yeah, so I know you weren't. Uh, so I know Steve- you weren't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to uh, we're going to ask Darren Pang about that, <clears throat> and of course about the blues and all kinds of things. But um, here's where I want to start with today, because I it's um, and I'm curious how you feel about where the NHL is going with uh, you know the international games. I mean, uh, what and I wish I had it in front of me. <laughs> what do they call those games? We, Tampa and Buffalo are in Stockholm mm-hmm. now. And getting ready to play a couple of games at the end of the week, uh, frankly, probably comes at a really good time for the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are a pretty pedestrian six five and two, as as we're chatting here today. And the surprising Buffalo Sabers, um, you know, great trip for both those teams. Do you, uh, let me ask you: You've done a couple of these trips. What, is it is it past time? Is it passe? Do you like the idea of going over there? What's your how do you feel about the whole? Euro experience. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the, the times that I've been over to cover them. Uh, you and I were both in London, England for the first round. It was yes, when the, we the Ducks were coming yes. off their Stanley Cup championship in 07. And I'll never forget, uh, there's a picture of me floating somewhere on the internet of, of uh, part of the Ducks shot at London Bridge with the Stanley Cup at London Bridge. Big yes. Chris Bronger, I think, had yep. holding the cup. And somehow my ugly mug got in there. But um that those were great memories and um 
and I can't remember whether I went to Finland or Sweden the year after that, but it was... Uh, Definitely went to Finland. I remember, I think you did uh, Pittsburgh and... Oh, I went to Sweden, yeah. Pittsburgh, Ottawa, I think. Or maybe Pittsburgh, Florida. But in, in any case, uh, I always confuse my trips. Good story, by the no, way. No, I, I always confuse all the world championships I covered overseas. That's why I, I... But, you know, the reason I think it's important for the NHL to keep doing it and, and for the players is because we owe so much of what we see in the NHL today to the players that come from those countries. And, and I think it's the least, the least the NHL can do to to try and pay back uh, those great fans in Europe. And, and, of course, the players that, you know, were homegrown in those places. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the league should continue to do it. Do you have... See, I did... Uh, I, rem- I, I had almost forgotten about that trip to London. Oh, my gosh, that was... So much fun. I had never been to London. Um, we went to see a soccer game. Do you remember this? <laughs> we went to see a yes. soccer game. And uh, Mark Spector we, we and I went to, left We went to a Fulham we match. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't even know where and we were. And I remember you but pouted. Spector- you pouted because uh, they wouldn't let you bring the beer to your seat at that time. I don't know if it's still the case today. And uh, you put on a pout. You, you, you pouted. So we had to go and, and go in a concourse to have your beer. And uh, I went with you to to support you. <laughs> Do you I, when I remember that, Mark Spector and I left the game before it was over to go to a pub because you're right. It was because of the hooliganism, and they had very strict uh, rules on consumption of, of, yes. of beer. I watched the entire beer. game. I, I I was able I think to it went to extra time. <laughs> I was able to wait an extra hour before I had a beer, unlike you. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you you've always been the master of restraint. That's for sure. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So I, so and I'll, we'll close up our European discussion here. It, I think it's interesting because for a long time, I know you used to bang the drum about having uh, teams based in Europe that you could have a European division. Yes, of course, it's makes it's. Not, I think it's we might see it one day. I still do. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But it was interesting because I thought of of you, and I know the. Um, this this notion that the NFL's uh, LA Chargers, uh, actually, I believe it was on in in our yeah the athletic, the athletic. Uh, broke that story. So, yeah, hey. this discussion about the, the potential for the Chargers to to set up shop in London. Now it was immediately poo pooed as you as you might expect because you know league likes to control its message in the NFL just like it does in the NHL. But so do you? Th- I mean, is it still a possibility? I mean, come on. I mean, the NHL is in a position now. With Seattle coming in, 32 teams, really, um, I, I don't think there's ever been across the NHL a more stable group of owners mm-hmm. than the 32. So I, I don't know how it ever fits numbers-wise and like what makes sense, especially if if the Coyotes are able to find a way to get a, a building built in the proper area of the of greater Phoenix metropolitan area. Is it still a possibility or... What do you think? It's a long-term possibility. I, I remember asking Bill Daly about this last year, and and he acknowledged that it's it's not something the league, um, uh, completely, you know, denies that 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 long long term, that perhaps there is a way to make it work. Um, you know, as travel, uh, as the improvements in, in the technology and travel makes it easier, and and I mean, listen. I don't think it's anything we're going to see anytime soon, but but the league has admitted to us that you know from time to time that's a discussion they've had, and 
Um, there are all kinds of obstacles and hurdles to that, all the obvious ones. But I think the reason it makes sense at some point in time, whether that's in 20, 30, 40 years, is that the one thing about putting teams in Helsinki or Stockholm or Prague or Moscow is that you certainly don't have to tell people about the game of hockey in those places. <laughs> they, they love the sport. Um, the bigger hurdle actually is, is to convince them to pay NHL prices for tickets. I, I think that we are conditioned as North Americans to pay a lot more for our sporting events than, than a lot of the sports in, in Europe. And I think that's actually one of the more, the bigger cultural hurdles as far as if the NHL ever, you know, dipped its toes over there. But I'll tell you right now, I mean, I would tell you that the NHL is probably closely, closely monitoring what the NFL is doing. And well, if the NFL ever puts a team in London, no question in my mind. You know that for sure Bill Daly humors you every time he tells you that they haven't completely ruled it out, right? You know that he's completely having you on. But anyway, we'll, we'll just move on from that point. That's my take on the whole thing. Um, so here, back to North America. Is there a bigger story? I'm going to phrase this the right way. Is there a more contentious story looming than what happens with Dustin Bufflin and the Winnipeg Jets. I, I, just, mm-hmm. I remain so fascinated by what is, you know, how this is continuing to unfold and and really what the long-term ramifications are for Dustin Bufflin, who is, you know, such a such an impactful player and one of the, really, one of the unique personalities in the game. And, and for a Winnipeg Jets team that, man, they've had, you know, they've had a ton of bad luck or... Uh, you know they're they're in they're in a tough situation given what's happened to them defensively and how they can continue to to chart forward. Um, when you think of the whole Buffalo Winnipeg Jets thing, mm-hmm. what what comes to mind? What do you make of it? Oh, what I make of it is that it's just unfortunate how it's all played out, and and you know it, it certainly would have been. Uh, I think a simpler script for Dustin Bufflin after he clearly didn't feel right uh, in terms of his ankle on the eve of camp when he skated to have just gone to the Jets and say that and then go into the team, uh, you know, in, in, into the protocol, you know, like, all right, let's get you checked. Uh, let's schedule surgery. And by the way, in the meantime, still get paid uh, by the Winnipeg Jets instead of being suspended without pay. But I also have sympathy for the player on the other side because I, th- I think it's uh, I think it was a genuine emotion. Uh, you know, none of us have spoken to Dustin Bufflin, but this is all secondhand. But it certainly sounds like he generally wondered in that moment whether he would ever play again. And he was like, "I'm just you know I'm just gonna go home and I don't need the Jets and I don't need all this other stuff." And he, listen, Bufflin's never been a guy that enjoyed the limelight and, and and enjoyed some of the demands that comes with being an NHL player. I think he's a very private person who, you know, likes to do his own thing. So I think at that moment in September when he's not sure he's going to play again, it for some reason made more sense to him to just go home and deal with his ankle. And as we know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, have the surgery on his own outside of the Jets. But what it has done, of course, is, is put this whole thing in a, 
in a whole other sphere as far as now, you know, the NHLPA has been looking at this very closely. And I think the expectation is there will be a grievance filed by the PA on Dustin Bufflin's behalf. And because the assumption here is that that ankle injury stems from last season when he tried to play through it. And that because of that, then uh, he should still be getting paid or at least get some money from um, his remaining contract. We should remind our listeners, I mean, he was scheduled to make $8 million this year and $6 million next year in the final year of his deal. So $14 million on the line here uh, on his NHL contract. So, and, and, and that's not even to get into the Jets' perspective of, man, would they ever need him right now? <laughs> you know, it's a team that's obviously lost... Uh, uh, Jacob Truba and Tyler Myers and Ben Sherratt and was counting on Bufflin and Josh Morrissey to really carry the load this year, uh, you know, with a younger blue line and not having him there really has been difficult for the Jets, not only, you know, from game to game, but the fact that until they figure out where this is headed, I don't know that they feel they can go out and spend his money on the cap either uh, in terms of finding a replacement. So it's really left the Jets in a tough spot. Well, and I think you've mentioned this, but it, that's <clears throat> there's so many moving pieces to this now, and whether there's a third party arbitrator that comes in to help resolve the should he get paid and all you know that kind of stuff. But w- when he does come back from this surgery, and now we're looking into the new year, if I understand the potential timeline, or may- back, maybe up to four months, Scotty, is what Darren Dreger reported. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So now you're, you know, now the trade deadline comes into the issue. You've got some teams, you know, Carolina, um, Buffalo, maybe. I mean, there are some teams that have some defensive depth mm-hmm. that might make sense in terms of a potential trade partner for the Winnipeg Jets. But as you have pointed out, it's how do you how do you plan for that? Right. Like, how do you move forward? It really is. It, it is unfortunate, and we should remind people that our own Winnipeg Jets team in Winnipeg. Uh, they have their own por- uh, podcast as well. It's called The Boarding Pass and uh, Murat Ates and Ken Weeby. I didn't even, you know, I'm, I, I hope I pronounced both their names correctly. You're brutal. Uh, but anyway. Ken Weeb, come on. <laughs> it's called The Boarding Pass. Do you know that I now, because I spoke to Darcy Cumper on the uh, weekend and I and now between Darcy Cumper and uh, Dallas Aikens, I'm pretty confident I've got both their names right. But uh, mm. there you go. Don't know about that. All right. Hold that thought for just a minute, buddy. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to get your thoughts on Drew Doughty, Andre Kopitar, and the LA Kings. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually people just brush it off or blame themselves, saying things like, oh, I lost my mojo. Or they avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com advantage and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. 
Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to roman.com advantage to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com advantage for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash advantage. Um, so I want to, all right, because this is all about you. You've had a very busy week. And I was curious, I was curious about your piece uh, this week. Uh, the LA Kings were in Toronto and, you know, having some discussion with uh, Andre Kopitar and Drew Doughty, you know, this sort of notion of what it's like for them to be on a team um, that obviously had, great success, won two cups, went to a West final over the course of a three-year period. But but clearly now it's teams in in, in rebuild mode and, and the idea that they hope to be there when they come out the other end of it. And I, I, I'm just curious of what you make of that. And uh, because uh, like it's, it, frankly, that's, that's going to be a hard thing to accomplish, I think, because in order for this team to get back to where they are, and I think you can say the same thing about Chicago, maybe they're in a little bit different position in terms of uh, of the group that is young group coming into that Chicago lineup, but still uh, seemingly a long way away from where they were. I just wonder what you know what you what you made of that whole dynamic because it must be very yeah. difficult for those two pros. Yeah, I think you know one thing that Drew Doughty said to me is that he really appreciates how GM Rob Blake has been really clear in communicating what the game plan is. Right? I mean. First of all, one of the things that he said to me is that when he signed his eight-year extension in July 2018, he kicked in this year, but he signed it a year ahead of time. He did not sign that eight-year deal thinking they were headed into a rebuild. He, he thought they would be a playoff team still for many years, and, and that's why he signed, or that's certainly a big part of why he signed. Having said that, you know, now that he's heard, I think, Rob Blake's vision and understands this is a, you know, a retooling, a rebuild, whatever you want to call it, he is on board and, and, and wants to be part of it. And, and there's no question, Scott, regardless of what your hesitation is with the game plan, that Rob Blake's game plan is to rejig this whole thing around Kopitar and Dowdy, that he sees those two players as being uh, still there. And, uh, you know, if you think about the way Boston rejigged it in a hurry around Chera and Bergeron and Krejci, um, so it's certainly, it, it's doable. It certainly requires some finesse. And um, I, I think what, it's funny, I was talking to a couple of Toronto media uh, people the day that I was interviewing Dowdy Kopitar and Rob Blake. And and the expression on their face was exactly why I wrote the story, which is that, you know, Corey Promen had ranked the Kings, and we, we trust Corey Promen for his expertise in these matters. The Kings fourth in the league out of 31 franchises as far as what's coming down the pipeline in terms of uh, uh, talent, prospects, um, when he ranked the organizations uh, in September. And so, uh, and it's funny, I was talking to another uh, rival NHL team executive a couple of days ago who said, you could see it at the, the, the rookie tournament here this year. I mean, the Kings are coming. Like they, there is light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the way they've drafted here of late. But getting there is still going to be painful, right? And so I, I, the tricky thing, for I think, for Rob Blake is that, you know, do guys like Kopitar and Dowdy want to live through that? And, and it's certainly that's what Kopitar and Dowdy told me, that they're on board and they understand what's ahead here. 
then that's hurdle number one for Rob Blake. Hurdle number two is that they're going to lose a lot of games again this year. It's going to be frustrating. And he needs to keep turning this roster over. He needs to jettison other veterans, and which is never fun because some of those players have meant a lot to this team. But the Kings have to keep getting younger to open up um, jobs over the next two, three years for all these kids that are coming down the pipeline. Now, I, I don't think they're going to get rid of everyone, Scotty. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if Dustin Brown, former captain, but a really beloved member of that team, I wouldn't surprise me if he stuck around for this. But there will be guys that won't be around. You know, I mentioned the possibility. I think Tyler Toffoli will get dealt eventually. But, you know, Trevor Lewis is UFA at the end of the year. Kyle Clifford, who I really like. I mean, he'd be a nice pickup for a contender for a little uh, physicality uh, uh, come playoff time. They're, they're going to turn this roster over. They'll have a decision on Alec Martinez, who actually has another year in his deal. I like Alec Martinez. He's a real good player. And... Almost like Jake Muzzin-like. Jake Muzzin last year got traded with a year and a half left on his deal, guaranteeing the Leafs at least two playoffs out of him, right? So is that the will that incite a team to say, ooh, be good to get out Alec Martinez for a couple of playoff runs? So I, I wouldn't be surprised me. I don't I don't think the Kings are gonna go out of their way to try and move him. And I think it'll be more about other teams enticing them with some offers and, and maybe an offer they can't refuse. So it there is still pain coming with the LA Kings, but at least I feel like you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, you always are a glass half full guy. I will say that. And that's uh, it. And I'm, I, to me, it just looks like they're in a different place. You mentioned Boston, and, and the Bruins did miss two, you know, they missed the playoffs two years in a row. They missed in 15 and 16. Um, and right now, you know, they, they are, to me, they're the, the one of the top two or three teams in the NHL in terms of how you build your team and Don Sweeney's done an amazing job in mm-hmm. you know you know getting that the, the young pieces under contract long term I mean there was some you know some bumps for him when he first took over but man that's a really that's an amazing team and and, uh, and I'm sure you're watching because it's part of your job but uh, that was a pretty titanic tilt between Montreal and Boston this week mm-hmm. um, and it you know part of Part of the reason I think that they've been able to correct themselves very quickly, uh, Tuka Rask uh, has, you know, he's become one of the great goaltenders of his of his generation in 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 my mind, and they backed him up nicely with Yarrow Halak. Uh, the Kings need to resolve their goaltending issues moving forward, and yeah, well, Kings, I guess Cal, Cal Peterson, I think, is the guy there long term for yeah. LA. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we'll see. Uh, anyway, it was interesting, and and you touched on uh, you touched on you know what what you, Rob Blake's going to do with that lineup. We've seen around the NHL in recent days where coaches and presumably in concert or discussion with their GMs, they've had to make hard decisions, right? Tyler Toffoli's was a healthy scratch. Bobby Ryan in Ottawa was a healthy scratch. DJ Smith, the rookie head coach there, making decisions with a an Ottawa team that man, they play hard. You know, it's it's going to be a long season for them, but they play really hard. And um, Brent Seabrook in Chicago, I think we talked about him a little bit last week. And I mean, that's I guess that's just life, right? I mean, you just you have to make those hard decisions if you're going to send the right message to a team that is whether you want to call it rebuilding or trying to inject growth right. into their lineup or whatever. Those are hard decisions. Well, and I don't know that I recall in all the time you and I have covered the NHL, you know, 25 years, that there have been this many 
onerous contracts hanging around the league, like like just a number of contracts that teams can't move or it's going to be very difficult to move them. And, you know, players that are, you know, obviously not going to be able to live up to the rest of these deals. And what do these teams do with it? And, you know, Brent Seabrook, you mentioned that contract. I mean, Brent Seabrook, frankly, in my mind, deserves every single penny of that contract for his role in those three Stanley Cup victories. I mean, he was the ultimate warrior and one of those things where you almost get paid after the fact, right? But the reality is he's 34 years old. He's lost a step and he's in the middle, not near the end, in the middle of an eight-year, $55 million deal that after this year still has four more years at a $6.875 million cap hit. I, you know, I don't... Stan Bowman has pulled a lot of rabbits out of his hat, but... I don't know how that contract is movable at this point. And again, I, I love the player. I uh, love the, the leader that he's been. But right now, the way the NHL has played, and um, I mean, that's that's an onerous contract. But what's amazing is you have one on almost every team, right? I mean, um, it, you know, I don't know what, uh, you know, the Milan-Lucci steal is not going to age well. And Calgary knew that. Listen, you're trading one onerous contract for another and James Neal for Milan Lucic but right now James Neal finding a second wave here in Edmonton that's looking like a pretty good deal for the Oilers Louis Erickson in Vancouver like doghouse central um, they don't know what to do with him they tried to trade him all summer but two more years after this year at a six million dollar cap it he's 34 years old and he can barely crack the lineup um, you know that's a really difficult contract you know every team pretty much has one and um or not every team but certainly a pretty long list of teams have these you know carl alsner buried in the minors in montreal uh you know is another one and i tell you it'll be interesting to me as time goes on to see how it affects july 1st and how it affects because the analytics are telling these gms you know, don't give this 33-year-old player the five-year deal, right? And, and and so I wonder if we're finally going to have these July 1st days. And I think we've started to see it a bit to some degree. But where, like in baseball, where the money just is not there if you're over 30. Well, but okay, so let me ask you this, though. Isn't part of it, I mean, you mentioned Carl Alsner in, in Laval and actually hoping to catch up with the uh, with Carl and with you, I'm I'm gonna be in Montreal in about mm-hmm. three weeks' time to work on it. By the way, another out, outstanding human being, right? I mean, everyone who's oh played gosh. with Carl Alsner loves yeah. being around him. Yeah, but yeah, that's no. a contract that it's doesn't work right now in the NHL. But do you think though that? And it's always I think the 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 trend toward GMs willing to give no con or no trade no move clauses because it allowed them to either strengthen their position in terms of AAV, in terms of the, the cap hit, uh, in terms of to get the term that they wanted, that that was always, at least on my sense of it, that was often the giveaway. Okay, you want no trade, no move, okay, but here's what I want in return. And we talked about this with the Roman Yossi deal, where David Poyle has steadfastly not gone down that road. And it has, um, uh, outside of Roman Yossi and, and Pecorine, it has allowed him almost total roster flexibility right like he you want to trade shay weber you want to trade uh gay suban yeah gay suban you you could do that i wonder if at some point gms will just say i'm gonna spend more money but i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm going to keep more control 
because for the very reason you just pointed out that all the, the GMs that are like, how do you move forward if you have mm-hmm. uh, a player like that? I just wonder if you think it's going to be a trend or if it's, you know, it's an easy thing to give, right? I mean, there's lots of them. I, I, I just think the trend is they're, 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 I, I think teams are going to show more restraint on term and money with players in their 30s. I, I really do. I think it's already started. But, I mean, here's another one. I mean, you, you spent a year covering the Dallas Stars uh, a couple of years ago. Jamie Benn, after this year, has five more years at a $9.5 million cap hit, Scotty. Um, he's got one goal this year. It's been a struggle. Uh, we haven't seen the, the rant yet from Jim Lights. I don't know <laughs> if there'll be, <laughs> be. But, and you know what a fan I've been of Jamie Benn over the years. He's always been one of my favorite players. But he's 30 years old. I don't know. Something happened to this player where he's still a good player, but he used to be a superstar and he's only 30. So tell me that contract doesn't worry you. My goodness. It it is and it's you know the interesting thing about the stars is that you know since we we've, we've talked about them you know over the the first few weeks of the uh, of this season a, a dreadful start to them they they're I think four in a row now coming off a a big win over Colorado now John Klingberg is is injured although really he was off to a, a bit of a, a slow start for him point productivity wise and Miro Haskinen has has really shouldered a lot of the load there and Essa Lindell is an underappreciated member of that blue line but they're getting it done with the kids right it's uh, you know Dennis Gurionov and Rope Hints and uh, Jason Dickinson and you're right I was, I'm looking at it too you know not just one goal for Jamie Ben in 17 games but six points like holy right. cow and I think so, I mean listen we, we've spent a lot of time since the start of the season and last year talking about how the kids coming out of entry level are eating up more more of the cap space than they ever have before in their second contracts and that in itself Scotty might save teams from themselves if that makes any sense because at some point you just run out of cap space so if it you know you know now that you're paying uh you know Sebastian Ajo and Braden Point and Mitch Marner coming out of entry level well, you, you probably can't pay some of your pending UFAs as much as you would have five years ago. I mean, it, it all has to fit into a puzzle. And I think, I honestly think, and this is, I'll tell you what will be the great test for this will be Taylor Hall, who I do think will get paid because he's that special a player. But will he get paid as much as his camp hopes? I mean, I, I, like I think his camp led by D- Darren Ferris He's never shared this with any of us, but my guess is he's probably looking at our Charmy Panarin's deal last year, last summer on July 1st, and thinking, well, I should be able to get $11 million a year for Taylor Hall. And why not? I would think the same thing. So let me, let me ask you this. Is, is that contract still there uh, for Taylor Hall if he doesn't resign in New Jersey? And by the way, he may very well resign in New Jersey, but what if he hits the market? You know, uh, Taylor Hall had the big injury last year. Super, super talented player. He is 27 years old. Uh, he turns 28 actually next week. What's what's the contract look like for Taylor Hall on July if he goes to market? Well, I, I, it's a it's a fabulous point because, <clears throat> and I'm just looking at the standings as we're having this conversation. Okay, so who can who can who can do that? Like who can, you know, you know, I'm looking at the bottom end. You know, at, at teams that might be able to. Um, 
accommodate that, you know, is maybe well, Columbus, really Detroit. Yeah, well, yeah. Columbus would have the money. Um, Detroit uh, or Ottawa, maybe, but he's not going yeah. there. Montreal and Canadiens. Detroit's free. Yeah, Montreal's Detroit, got really cap room. Mm-hmm. Um, not Montreal. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, no. Colorado, now, Colorado technically has the, the cap room, but I, I'm sure they're a bit wary about what's ahead for them in terms of you know, eventually a new contract uh, for Kale McCarr coming out of entry level in two years. Uh, eventually a new contract for Grubauer in a couple of years. And of course, <laughs> Nathan McKinnon uh, in three and a half years. I know that's down the road, but yeah. if you're Colorado and you're hoping to extend this window for a long time, you, you do have to be careful with your cap dollars. But technically right now, they're near the bottom with their cap number. Yeah, well, and you know, and you're right. And if you're Taylor Hall, I mean, do you you want to go to a place where where you have a realistic chance to win, right? So that you know that then muddies the water. Okay, well, which teams? And then to your maybe you go back to your point. I mean, maybe this is where you know, and I'm not saying this is the part of the plan. As you say, he could very well end up in New Jersey. The Devils have started to very slowly gain some traction after a terrible start. Um, but maybe this is where Taylor Hall says, okay, three years, I want to go and win a cup. And so maybe that makes it easier for a Joe Sackick or, uh, you know, Lou Lamarillo on Long Island. Team is, you know, team is 10 straight wins. Maybe that becomes a place. How, how, how about Ken Holland bring Taylor Hall back to Edmonton? <laughs> baby. <laughs> That'd be fun. That'd be fun. <laughs> I mean, why not uh, on July first? Now, I think the Oilers have some. They, they would have to massage the cap in one way or another, but that would be fun to to have him reunited with Connor McDavid. Um, you know, but why not New Jersey? I mean, here's the thing. I mean, you mentioned the playoffs. Taylor Hall's only played in five NHL playoff games in his entire life. One series two years ago with New Jersey, and I know from talking to Taylor Hall in the past how much I mean the year he went to New Jersey is the year Edmonton finally made it back in and it was just you know he wasn't I don't know if he was jealous but he was eating away at his soul that you know you see it's, it's like the old Ryan O'Reilly thing in Buffalo before he went to St. Louis right is it me <laughs> I mean as a player you, you start to to have all these second thoughts and I think for Taylor Hall I don't think you can underestimate how being on a winner will be a big part of his final decision I think and maybe he sees the doubles becoming that team he may very well yeah well and that's the i mean the reality is that we have seen teams that we would have discarded and maybe you know like i I don't think the kings are close but we know now from watching teams like colorado um you know the devils were in the playoffs two years ago before backsliding Uh, we do know that there can be if you have the right coach and you have the right GM and draft and develop all those things that you have to do, that you can do things very quickly. And and you're right. Maybe Taylor Hall is there every day. Maybe he looks around and sees where Jack Hughes is going and sees uh, um, uh, Nico Heischer and the rest of that group there and says, why not here? Right. Why not us? And why don't well, I want to be part of that? So you're right. I mean, there are worse things in life than thinking that, you're guaranteed to have either Nico Heischer or Jack Hughes as your center for the next 10 years. <laughs> That's it. Or eight That's years. That's very true. All right. Now, just just before we go, you know this, 
but this week on The Athletic, we're doing a deep dive into all things NHL culture. And in fact, I mentioned to you whether you're going to have a nap. I have a piece that will be coming out on the the place of the pregame nap. Mm. Which was I love the pregame nap. Oh, I'm, I'm all for a pregame nap. And frankly, I was talking to Victor Hedman, and he has a pregame nap with... Well, I'd have to look it up now. I can't. His dog's name is Harry, as in Harry Potter, and he, and his he and his dog have the pregame nap together. But he he was not a napper. He only came to the nap late in life, as opposed to a guy like uh, Nick Foligno, who was great when he first came in the NHL. He said he would nap for like three hours every day before a game. Now he naps for like four wow. minutes, like three hours. That's deep. That's, that's deep big... REM sleep there. Three hours. That's deep REM sleep. Yeah. You need like anyway. four four espressos to get going after that. Yeah, I can't nap for three hours. But uh, anyway, our local and national hockey writers have uh, great stories on everything from the nap to the league's biggest wine snobs. I'm sure, I'm sure someone uh, interviewed you for that piece. Um, <laughs> no, our- I think Joey Mack did the wine thing, right? Yeah, I don't know yeah. yet for sure. That's good. Uh, art There's great pieces out there, talk- by the way. Yeah, well, Trash Talkers is a great piece uh uh, today, uh, Sean Gordon's piece on uh, on the on the chirping. Uh, look at diversity in hockey, the culture of NHL nicknames, and how players manage to practice and play while nursing a hangover. Uh, can't imagine that would ever happen. I certainly don't know that writers would ever have to deal with that. Anyway, these stories give you a rare insight into the world of hockey off the ice, and they are a must-read for an NHL fan. So. Obviously, you should be subscribing to the Athletic so you don't miss a beat there. That's that's what I would say to you, Pierre. Oh yeah, wonderful. And you know what? The piece from Katie Strang on uh, on drug abuse uh, around the NHL—not that it, any of it shocked me from you know, the stories that I've heard uh, over the years—but you know, it's certainly always important to bring the subject up again every couple of years. And Katie did a great job with that because. You know, you worry. You worry about the trend, and you worry about you know uh, players making bad, bad, and dangerous decisions. So that was that was a really good piece from Katie. Yeah, no question. And she really was. She sort of had her arms around the whole culture blitz, and and did a great job of of getting out lots of mm-hmm. terrific stories, lots of different stuff. So good stuff from that. And uh, all right, my friend, we're gonna take a break. We. Uh, you should always, if you're listening to Two Man Advantage, take a minute or two, go and rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple and tell them that the Two Man Advantage is going to get people 40% off their subscription. So that's at theathletic.com slash Two Man Advantage, and you'll get 40% off their subscription. I, I think that's a good plan, don't you? That is an unbelievable deal. That's like a free beer. (laughs) Well, we love a free beer, my friend. Good job. Right on, right on. (laughs) 